review and recap through the rest of this summer, just different messages that uh, we have taught on before, different series, get an opportunity to go into them a little bit deeper, uh, and then just see what God has to say uh, in uh, review, in recapping, uh, because uh, Jesus, Peter, Paul, they were very um, adamant about keeping people in remembrance and reminding them of things that God has said that are in his word. And so, you know, we don't get these, we don't get all of what God has to say the first time. And, and uh, you know, we can preach the same message and get something more out of it or get something different out of it. And if anything, it's going to help strengthen different things that we've already learned, things that we've already heard. So tonight I want to pull um, a message um, from our series on Kingdom Mind Renewal. And um, so tonight's message is change your mind, change your mind. And we're going to just simply talk about renewing the mind, uh, keeping the mind in its proper perspective, um, the role that our mind plays uh, in our life, in our lifestyle. And so that's where we want to go tonight. If you'll go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and we have all these verses out on version, and um, you can follow along there. Um, we're going to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to begin. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to be uh, surrounded by your word, surrounded by your people. Father, we thank you and we love you because your word is a priority in our life. It, it takes first place. Church takes first place in our life, Father. And so tonight we give of our time and we give of our attention and uh, everything that we have to hear your word to live by your word, to apply your word. We thank you that it's power to us. We thank you that it's life and it's peace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings illumination to us, that we're not just having to uh, rely physically on our natural ability to comprehend something, Father, but we can also rely on your spirit to illuminate the word and make it known and understandable to us. So we thank you for this time tonight. We thank you that it will be effective and productive. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. In most of these verses, I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard. Um, they will be on the screen in that version. I usually do the New King James, but kind of went a different route tonight. And um, so if you don't have that Bible, you can look on the screen. You can look in you version. Um, it just pulls it out a little bit differently. But Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So right here in verse 1, he is talking about how we're supposed to look on the outside, how our flesh is supposed to live, how our flesh is supposed to respond. We're supposed to give our lives, our physical bodies, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. He says this is our spiritual service of worship. Verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul is identifying on your outside, your flesh that everyone sees, your lifestyle, the way that you respond to things, the way that you talk, the way that you act, get that to line up not with the world, but with God's word. Not with the world. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of the mind. Here's the problem that we're having to address, is that many people thought that when they came down to the altar, that's when they were transformed. But the only transformation that took place at the altar was on the inside, your spirit man. So they wake up the next day, and to their surprise, they still have some of the same thoughts they had before. And a few words that uh, they used to say slip out. And that guy at work uh, begins to talk about them behind their back or is saying something to them, and they have hatred and uh, 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 different responses along with the world and how they used to live that begins to rise up, and they're wondering, wait a minute, I was transformed. Why am I still feeling like this? Why am I still talking like this? Why am I still responding to these situations this way? 
I thought I was already transformed. And so for a lack of knowledge, they go down the next week. And where do they end up? Right back at the altar because the minister preaches the same message that he preached the week before, making them feel guilty and condemned. And they're thinking, wow, well, I I must not have gotten it. I I must not have gotten saved. I, I need to go back down to the altar. I need to give my life to Jesus again because I still had some things happening in my life. What's going on? The problem is, is that the real transformation that needs to take place so that our flesh doesn't do those things anymore isn't in the spirit realm. It's in our mind. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. This is a verse we've been looking at. And he mentions, Paul, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. God wants to sanctify us entirely. This right here will damage and throw out a lot of what's being preached in the church today. Because we're preaching a message of deliverance, but we're not preaching a message of freedom. We're not preaching a message of get the whole thing saved. We're just saying, just get the part saved that's going to live on forever, and we don't want it to go to hell, so let's get it saved so it'll go on and live in heaven. But the mind, the soul, our will, our emotions, our flesh, we don't need to be concerned with that. Well, that's not what this verse says. To be sanctified means to be set apart. God wants us to be set apart, not only in our spirit realm. He wants us to be set apart in our mind, which is our thinking, our actions, our thought life. And he also wants us to be set apart in our flesh, which means on the outside, we should look different than someone who's not set apart. That's pretty simple. So he says here, may God of, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. What does that mean? Your spirit, your soul, and your body. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. Now, if we go back to Romans chapter 12, true transformation takes place in the mind. The mind is what dictates if we're truly transformed or not. Not did I go down to the altar. And let me show it to you this way. Not just because I do everything right on the outside. There's two sides to that. You're not just transformed just because you went down to the altar, but you don't change anything else. And he also says you're not just transformed because you do everything right on the outside, but you don't have the inside properly lined up. Anyone ever heard, you know, somebody say, well, man, they, they seem like a good person. They, they, I mean, they, they, they help out the poor. They, they give to people freely. They're, they're not selfish. They're nice people. They don't cuss and drink and do all that crazy stuff. They don't hang out with crazy people. They seem like a good person. Why won't they go to hell? Why? Because they weren't transformed entirely. They weren't set apart, sanctified entirely. And you could do everything right on the outside, but if we don't have the inside set up, we're still missing a very important piece of the puzzle. So now, what is the role of the mind? What is the role of this transformation? Because we see here that true transformation does not take place until we renew our mind. Renew our mind. Why is it that I can go down to the altar, accept Jesus as my Lord, bawl my eyes out, pray with someone, confess my sins, uh, and, and make Jesus the Lord of my life, and then walk away and still have an improper thought life, still want to do things that aren't right, still uh, talk uh, improperly, still look at things that are improper? Why is that? And so we have to look at this transformation issue. Here's the key. Your life is dictated by your mind. Your life, your actions, and your responses are dictated by what you allow in your mind. Period. So you can say it this way. You won't get anywhere in life if you don't first get your mind there. And if you can change the way you think, You can change the way you live. If you can change the way you think about something, then you can change the way you live, the way you react, the way 
that you respond to things and the things that happen in your flesh will follow suit as to what you allow into your mind. The transformation in our flesh does not take place until we renew and transform the mind. What is the greatest way to not be conformed to the world and not look like the world and not act like the world? Transform your mind. Renew your mind. So if you want to live differently, you've got to think differently. That's the, that's the first point that I think we've got here. By changing the way you think, you will in turn change the way you live. That's the first principle we have to understand. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is identifying if you're going to offer your life as holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, you can't be conformed to the world. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He doesn't say transformed by going down to the altar when the, when the uh, minister calls you down, not by bawling your eyes out and crying, not by repenting of all your sins. The true transformation takes place when we begin to renew our mind. Now, here's the thing. Your spirit, at the point of being saved, is saved instantly, instantaneous. There's no gradual process. You come down here, you confess your sins, you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, you choose that way and choose that life and choose to become a kingdom citizen. When you turn around and walk back, your spirit is saved. But here's the problem. We are wrapped in a flesh suit that can never be saved. I'll say that again. Your flesh on the outside, according to God's word, and we'll look at it here in Romans chapter 8, your flesh cannot, will not be saved. Now, I've only mentioned two parts of our being. Remember, we're a three-part being, spirit, soul, body. I've mentioned the spirit. I've mentioned the body, the flesh. So which one did I leave out? The soul. And the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your spirit is saved. Your flesh cannot be saved. And now we have the soul in the middle. And according to Romans 12, 2, it can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So your spirit is saved. Your flesh cannot be saved. But your soul is being saved. Your soul is perpetually in a process of being saved. So let's put it in order. Your spirit is saved. Your soul is being saved. And your flesh cannot be saved. So the soul, which contains your mind, is in one sense the determining factor. Your mind will cast the deciding vote on what, how your flesh lives out what has already taken place on the inside. Your soul realm is the deciding factor. Your soul, your mind will determine, do I live according to the flesh or do I live according to the spirit? What does that mean to live according to the flesh and according to the to the Spirit. Go to Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. And we're going to see here that your mind can actually be influenced. Your mind can determine one or the other. Your mind, depending on how it's influenced, will determine do you live out according to the flesh or do you live out according to to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Notice that how you live is determined by what you set your mind on. This is why the mind is the key factor here. Not being born again, not coming down and praying at the altar, because look. There are many people 
that have come and prayed a prayer but live no different. The outside, you can put it this way, the outside never reflects what has taken place on the inside. And the whole goal of our life is to reflect on the outside what has taken place on the inside. God never meant, he did not send his son Jesus to take on all the beating and all the sacrifice and all uh, the stuff that he took on, take on the cares of the world, the sins of the world, the sicknesses of the world, so that what he does for you can only be on the inside and no one ever know about it. Let me just go ahead and put that out there. God meant for it to be way bigger than that. God meant for the new life that he gives you on the inside to show up on the outside. And so now as Christians, now as believers, we have a responsibility to make that happen. And how do we make that happen? For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of flesh. Those who are living according to the flesh, it's because they've put their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they have set their minds on the what? Things of the spirit. Go to verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. That verse right there should make it very easy for you to determine where you put your mind. Okay, if I think on this, and if I dwell on this, it will lead to death. But if I put my mind on his word, and if I uh, set my mind on the things of God and the things of the spirit, it's life and it's peace. Who wants life in here? Who wants peace in here? Who wants death in here? Very simple choice. It's like that one, you know, where, where God uh, told Joshua and the Israelites, this day I set before you life and death. Now that right there is already an easy question. 50-50, you can only get one or the other. I mean, even if you chose by accident, you got a 50-50 chance of getting the right one. How many of you think you could pass that test without anyone giving you the answers? Life or death? Well, I think I'm going to go with life. But then God goes even further. He says, choose life. Yet there's still a lot of people choosing death. So God makes it very simple. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile, hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. That's where I was saying earlier that your flesh will never come up under God's law. Your flesh cannot be saved. It is a lost cause. Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, caused everyone to be born into sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And now we see here that there is no hope for your flesh. There is no hope for your flesh to ever come into alignment with God's laws and God's word. So forget about it. But you can kill the flesh, die to the flesh, and only be controlled by the spirit. And that only comes by transforming the mind. Verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Anyone here want to please God with your life? I want to live my life so that it's pleasing satisfying to God, that when he looks down, he takes pleasure in my life. He takes pleasure in me being in his will, living according to his word. Yes, everyone wants to live a life that is pleasing to God. That's what we've been talking about on Sundays with being in God's will. Every believer wants to be in God's will. They want to know and discover what God's will, and they want to do God's will, and they want to be in God's will, and they don't want to be out of God's will. That's easy. And so now we're trying to discover how do we get the flesh on the outside, which can never reflect the kingdom of God, to die so that we can live according to the Spirit. So let's go to, um, actually, I want to pull up Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8 in the New Living Translation. It's on the screen here, and it's on you version if you have that as well. Look at it very plainly in the New Living. Those who are dominated... By the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. Look at this real quick. 
in the first sentence, first part of this verse, it says those who are dominated by the sinful nature. And then we go on down, and it says, but those who are controlled. Notice how either way, you are subject to something. Many people don't want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so they do what the flesh wants to do, and they think this, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm free. But according to this verse, even living according to the flesh and according to the sinful nature, you are still under subjection to something. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to live under subjection to something, I'd rather live under subjection by the Holy Spirit than by the devil. So if you have to choose who's going to control your life and who's going to dictate your life, I would have to go with, I want God to dictate my life. He has my steps ordered. He has already ordained my life. He's predestined my life. He's got a plan for a future of hope. Yeah, I want to go with that. But see, what the devil will do is he'll trick you and he'll manipulate you into thinking you're doing your own thing when you're never doing your own thing. You're either doing what God wants you to do or you're doing what the devil wants you to do. He uses the same word in both instances. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, look at this, think about sinful things. Now, the way this one words it can make you think that if you are controlled, if you're doing sinful things, then you're setting your mind on sinful things, but it's actually the other way around. If you set your mind on sinful things, you will do sinful things. The thought process always precedes the lifestyle. What you think always precedes what you do. There's no married man that accidentally fell into bed with another woman and committed an affair. doesn't happen. There was a thought process that began at some point in life where you began to look at someone else, and then you began to think about someone else. This is why Jesus told the Pharisees, look, you say that if you uh, lie with another woman that you're committing adultery, but I tell you, if you even lust after that woman in your own heart, you've already committed adultery. Why? Because your thoughts always precede what you do, and it's not the fleshly act that causes you to sin. It's the thought life that then leads you to actually do what you're thinking. So those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit Think about things that please the Spirit. So likewise, if you want to live according to the Spirit and you want to live out the transformation that has taken place in your spirit, if you want that to become a reality on the outside, you have to think on things of the Spirit. You have to put your mind there. Go to verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to to life and peace. Verse 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Verse 8. That's why those who are still under, under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Never please God. Now notice he's saying, he's talking about control. He's talking about domination. That means if you're living a lifestyle that is habitually sinful and you're practicing sin without any recourse, without any remorse, without any repentance, without any change and any desire to change, that is a sinner. That is a sinful life. Every now and then we might mess up. Every now and then we might do something that's out of alignment with God's will. But if we repent immediately and choose, I'm going to change my course. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to do that thing. It's not an everyday occurrence. It's not happening all the time. That is a born-again person that has slipped into something but is not dominated by a sinful nature. That's a very strong word. 
So this isn't to bring guilt and condemnation for anyone that is saved. And, well, man, you know, I I messed up with this the other day. Or uh, I I said this and I knew I shouldn't have. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the person that there's there's something that has been addressed, brought up in their life. And they have chosen, I don't want to change that. I've, I've had the opportunity to change it and do something different. But I've chosen not to do it. That is one that is dominated by a sinful nature. That is one that is making choices on a regular basis to conform to the world, and those thoughts every time lead to death. Now, again, we're not talking about death as in your body is going to die. That can happen physically. Obviously, you understand. But we're talking about death in the form of separation from God. And your thought life, if it's inappropriate, and if it's according to a sinful nature that you've been brought out of, it will separate you from God himself. It will, it will sever that relationship. And so we see the importance of our thought life. We see the importance of uh, keeping our minds set on the right thing. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Colossians chapter 3, in verse 2. And along with this verse and the verses that we have already covered, you're going to see something very important here. You're going to see a very key principle here. That God, in all his glory, all his power, all his omnipotence, all his sovereignty, there is something that he cannot do. There is something that he is literally unable to do. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. This is written to Christians. This is written to believers. And it's saying, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. God in all his power, all his sovereignty all his wisdom, you will never find in the Bible where it is his responsibility to change your mind. You'll never find it. You'll never find it in the word of God. We just read in Romans chapter 8, if you set your minds on sinful things, then you will do sinful things. If you set your mind on the Spirit, then you will live according to the Spirit. You will never find in the Bible where it is God's responsibility to change your mind for you. This verse right here, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, puts the sole responsibility on us to set our mind. And you have options. There's no one that can do this for you. Let me put it this way. Not even the devil can set your mind. Well, I just can't stop thinking these thoughts. I just can't stop thinking this way or thinking this way about that person or, uh, you know, thinking about doing this or thinking about responding this way or, you know, having those thoughts. You can't say that. Because the only person In the entire universe, nobody else has the responsibility. Your pastor doesn't have the responsibility. Your boss doesn't have the responsibility. God doesn't have the responsibility. Angels don't have the responsibility. The devil doesn't have the responsibility. The only one that is responsible for where your mind is set is you, is us. That's it. Your mind is only in control by one person, which makes it very easy. If it's not set on the right things, there's only one person to go to. There's only one person to hold responsible for where our thought life is at and why it's set on what it's set on. People that choose to live according to the Spirit, choose to respond from the Spirit instead of the flesh, are people that were adamant 
and held very highly the responsibility of setting their minds on something. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't because God gave them more of himself when they got saved and God gave them a measure of, uh, you know, uh, of his thought life than he did to someone else. We've all been given the same measure. We were all born in at the same stage, at the same level, and we all have the same responsibility. So if you see someone that is making decisions based upon the word and based upon the spirit more than someone else, it's because that person decided more to set their minds on things in the spirit than this person. Period. Well, Jesus must really love them. He, he's helping them think right. No. They're helping themselves think right by getting their minds set on the right things that will now produce that lifestyle that doesn't conform to the world, but that is transformed. You see, this transformation is a process. This transformation is not uh, immediate. We, we saw this in spiritual growth. That salvation is instantaneously. Your spirit is immediately made new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you now are a new creature. This isn't you're becoming a new creature. You are a new creature. But now getting the new creature on the inside to show up on the outside, that's a process. That takes time. That takes an adamant decision day in and day out that I'm going to set my mind on this so now that I will produce this in my life. Your mind determines whether you live according to the flesh or according to the spirit. Your mind holds that power. But let me go behind that. You hold the power of what you set your mind on. In life, every single day of your life, you have options. I can set my mind on things of the flesh. And I can set my, minds on thing, my mind on things of the Spirit. Every single day for the rest of your life, you never get so used to setting your mind on things of the Spirit that it becomes automatic. You still have to make that decision. You still have to wake up and do what Paul said, I die daily. Not I died one time and so now every decision I make is just automatic. And man, this, thing, this living for Jesus thing is easy. It just automatically happens. I wanted to punch the guy in the face, but I didn't. I just walked in love. I wanted to cuss at that person, but I didn't. I just said nice things and held my tongue. I wanted to, uh, you know, worry and panic and operate in fear, but for some reason I just had peace and comfort in my life. It doesn't work that way. You have to make adamant decisions and choose to set your mind on the right thing so you can now produce that. And you can be walking with Jesus for 30 years, and on 30 years in one day, you can decide, I don't want to walk according to the Spirit anymore. I want to set my, th my mind on things of the flesh and mess up. It never becomes automatic. It never is. It may become easier because you have now practiced it and you have made a habit of living by the Spirit and setting your mind on things of the Spirit. It might become easier, but it's never automatic and it never happens without you setting your mind somewhere because the only one that holds that responsibility is you. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're actually going to start with verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know what was going through his mind. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't have his mind where it's supposed to be because I don't know about you. If I'm walking with Jesus, I'm not rebuking him. I don't care what he says. I'm not going to rebuke Jesus. By the way, this came right after Peter said, I believe you are the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one. And what did Jesus say? You have spoken appropriately. And you didn't get that. My father in heaven gave that to you. And now Peter's got the keys to the kingdom of heaven and thinks he's 
you know, I guess maybe if you got the keys to the kingdom of heaven from Jesus, that might give you the privilege of rebuking him. I don't know. But Peter, with his big mouth, decides to go off a little further. And he says, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Now watch this. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So Peter, who just about seven verses earlier, five verses earlier, sets his mind on things of the Spirit and says, you are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He just spoke by the Spirit because Jesus said, you didn't get that on your own. You got that by my Father in heaven. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and that's what came out. Now we're five verses down, holding the keys of the kingdom, and he that quickly went from setting his minds on the things of God to setting his mind on the things of man. Why? Because Peter was friends with Jesus. So when Peter hears that my best friend is going to be beat up, embarrassed, made to look like a fool and made a mockery of, and then crucified on a cross, which is the most torturous way to die, Don't let it happen. He was moved by his personal interest in his friend, Jesus, not interested in the things of God. And if you go through with this, you'll save the entire universe. That's how quickly it can take place. Every single day, we have the option of setting our minds on things of the spirit or setting our minds on the things of the flesh. And here's the thing is it's not just about what you think about, but it's about what that thought life produces. Because whether you realize it or not, it's producing something. Oh, it just thought my mind. It, It just crossed my mind. It was just a thought. But they say here, Jesus says here, that your thoughts produce actions. And your thoughts produce actions in line with what you thought. You will never think one thing and do a different thing. I remember one of my baseball coaches. They, the, uh, we had a, at my school, there was a daycare. And one of the teachers came out with the kids and we're playing on the playground while we're on the baseball field practicing. <laughs> The coach, is, the, the coach is just standing there staring at her. And we're like, what, what you doing, man? Hey, it's all right to window shop. He's married. This guy's like 40-something years old, looking at like a 20-year-old girl. He's like, hey, it's all right. No, no, no. The Bible says it's not okay. My Bible says that that thought life will get you killed. It will produce death in your life. It will produce separation from your king. And from your God. No, it's not okay to window shop. It's okay to look at it, you just can't touch it, is what he was alluding to. No, my Bible says my thoughts can go way deeper than that. My Bible says it's not okay. My Bible says that that thought life will put me in bed with that girl. Or get me in even deeper trouble. You have to guard. You have to guard your mind. Paul said you have to guard your mind. Protect your mind. I think I said this last week. God gave me something that was so awesome. He said, the enemy does not have the ability to open a door. He does not have the ability to go up to a door in your life. And open it. He doesn't have that access. But he can walk into doors you leave open. 
And what is the enemy here to do? John chapter 10, verse 10. The enemy is here to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He will walk in that door, and he'll steal everything inside of it. He will kill everything inside of it, and he will destroy everything inside of it. So what do we have to do? Guard. Protect our minds. Choose where we set our minds. Don't put our minds in areas that leave doors open for the enemy to just walk right in. The devil is not beating down doors. He's not tearing down doors. He's not kicking doors in. He's not picking locks. He doesn't have any of that ability. He can only go indoors that people leave open. And there are people that are leaving doors open, creating a passageway, access into an area of their thought life. And he's going in, and he's stealing, and he's killing, and he's destroying. Not because he overpowered them, but because the believer didn't walk in the power and the responsibility of setting their minds. If you want to handle money differently, think about it differently. If you want your marriage to be different, then think about your marriage differently. Divorce today uh, is just as rampant in the church as it is in the world. And that's because we are getting married with a thought process of people that we have seen married. And we're going based upon a picture that we've seen rather than the picture of what the Word says. Well, my parents were divorced, and so I guess that's just how we're going to end up. That's the only picture you've ever gone by. But if you want your marriage to be different than your divorced parents, then you have to create that different picture. And you have to set your mind. You have to think differently. You have to get your mind set on what does God's word say about a husband-wife relationship. Not what I have seen or not what the world says. It's amazing to me how many Christians and how many believers who have the greatest access to the greatest amount of information you could ever think of in God's word go to the world for advice. Go to the world for advice on how to handle money. Go to the world for advice on how to start a business. Go to the world for advice on how to get, keep your marriage together or operate in a marriage. Go to the world for advice on how to parent your children. Go to the world for advice on leadership. It's amazing how many pastors pay all this money to go to the world and go to their little leadership seminars and conferences when the greatest leader that ever walked the face of the planet is written about here in this book and many other ones. What are we doing? We're setting our mind on the things of the world, and then we're surprised why our stuff turns out just like the world. I don't know why we got a divorce. I don't know why I'm in such debt. I don't know why I couldn't get that business off the ground. I don't know why all those people left me. Because you followed a model that's broken, and you set your mind on that, and you thought it would produce something different. But when we set our mind on something that fixes what is broken, set our mind on something that brings life, Set our mind on something that produces peace. Set our minds on something that brings comfort. Then we'll operate in life. We'll operate in peace. Our finances will be changed because we'll learn how to handle them according to the word of God. Our marriage will grow and flourish because we learned how to operate as a husband or a wife according to God's word. Our family and our children will grow and flourish because we've learned how to direct them and guide them as the word tells us to. Not as the world tells us to. Notice that confirmation is a result of no transformation. Without transformation, you will conform to what's around you. Those are the only options. If your thought life only has an option of flesh and spirit, then your lifestyle only has two options, flesh and spirit. 
This message isn't very deep, but sometimes we need just some simple word, just something simple. If you set your mind on the world, you're going to produce the world. If you set your mind on the word, you're going to produce the word. It's that simple. So here's the goal. Here's our entire life's goal as believers. If me coming down to the altar, confessing my sins, feeling repentance, feeling remorse, and walking away excited that God is my king and Jesus is my Lord, if that's not good enough to change my actual lifestyle, then what do I need to do? So this is the goal of the believer, every believer. Our goal is to get our minds to catch up with who we already are on the inside. Your entire life as a believer, your entire life as a kingdom citizen is to get your mind to figure out and come into a reality of what has already taken place on the inside. Because your spirit is saved immediately. Your spirit wants to do everything God wants you to do. Your spirit wants to live by his word. Your spirit wants to do his will. Your spirit wants to obey him in every assignment, every time he speaks. Your spirit wants to produce life. But your flesh doesn't. The Bible says that the spirit and the flesh are constantly at war. This is what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7 when he said, when I want to do the thing that is right, I do the complete opposite. And when I don't want to do what is wrong, I do that. I'm in war. Uh, my life is a continual struggle of the flesh versus the spirit. How do I get my life to line up with the desires of my spirit man who wants everything God wants instead of the desires of my flesh who wants nothing of what God wants? And then he goes to Romans 8. If you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you will produce the flesh. And if you set your mind on the things of the spirit, you will produce the spirit. So what is the goal? The goal is to get my mind to catch up with who I am on the inside. Because if I can get my thought process lined up with the word of God, then I'll produce the word on the outside. I will reveal to the world what has taken place on the inside of my life. I won't live contrary to the word and just be excited that, well, at least I'm saved. At least I'm born again. At least I'm going to heaven. At least my name is in the book. No, there's more required of us. There's more that we're responsible for. We're responsible for setting our minds so then that way, we can get what's on the inside to show up on the outside and be a witness to the world. The world is waiting for someone that won't follow in what they're doing. The world is waiting for someone to step out and say, no, I'll have no part of that. The world is waiting for someone. The world is crying out for someone that says, no, I am not conforming to you because I've been transformed by the renewing of my mind. The world is waiting for that person to show up. Because they're in darkness. Because they can't see. They can't see where they're going. The blind are leading the blind. But we show up. And not only do we have light, we are light. 
And the second we get what's on the inside to show up on the outside, that light shines. And not only are we helping ourselves, but we are now becoming a benefit to all those around us that were in darkness. You would be amazed at how many people who you've been fearful to let them know, look, I, I, I'm a Christian. I, I don't do those kind of things. I don't talk like that. I don't, I don't act like that. You would be surprised and amazed at how many of them have been waiting for you to show up to lead them out of darkness. You'd be surprised. Pastor Earl's got a great story that while he was in Bible school, he worked at this place overnight, and there was this one guy that was always, one day I'm going to get you to, 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 go, to the, go to the bar with me. One day I'm going to get you to go to a strip club with me, and I'm going to get you. And he said, no, I think before I'm done here, I'm going to get you to ask Jesus into your heart. They didn't pound him with scriptures day in and day out. He didn't act, oh, well, I'm better than you. No, he talked normal, hung out, spoke with them at work while they were there. But then at the end, his last day of work there, the guy brought him over to a corner and said, I need Jesus. I've been living in darkness, and I realize you have the light, and you can get me out of this. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And so that's why we've got to have this transformation on the outside. If we don't have the transformation on the outside, we will conform to everything around us. But if we can transform our minds, it'll transform our lives because what we think becomes how we live. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are good. You are holy. Your word is pure. Your word is true. Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity not just to hear your word, read your word. We have the opportunity to live your word, apply your word, and do your word. Father, your word has so much life in it. It has so much peace in it. The, the life that you have created for us to live in the kingdom is such a wonderful life. And Father, there's no momentary lust or momentary desire that this world can offer that would want us, uh, that, would, that would keep us from living the kingdom life you have designed for us. So Father, today we choose to set our minds. It's a daily act. It's a daily reminder that I will not conform to what's around me. I will be transformed by what's in me. Father, I thank you that your word will produce that life in us. Those things that we know we shouldn't do, when we set our minds on your word, we'll find ourselves not doing them because we'll have the strength and the power behind it to change how we act, to change how we talk, to change what we do, to change how we respond to situations. Father, we love you. We love your word. We place a priority on your word. I thank you for all those that are here tonight that have given of their time, given of their Wednesday night in the middle of a week to come sit and hear the word. I thank you that it will produce in us life, that we will meditate on these scriptures. We'll go back over them. We'll go back over the notes. We'll go back over the, the word that we have heard tonight. Continue to meditate on it and allow it to produce life within us. We thank you for this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.